Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So I think we're going to try to finish on our mutual learning model series. And the, the two that are still coming are accountability and compassion. Not sure if we're going to get to compassion, but let, let's see if we can get there. At least we can talk about accountability. Did you want to remind us what we what we got to before? Yeah. And uh, in, as far as the mutual learning model goes, we're, we're focusing in this series on the values uh, behind the mutual learning model uh, with the ideas if you have the, the right uh, values in your in your mind and in your heart as you uh, communicate with people, then you're probably going to make the correct assumptions and and then you'll probably cr- produce the correct behaviors. And uh, what we covered so far in the of the values, we started with informed choice and the idea that uh, we value an informed choice. We think that getting as much uh, information out there will help everyone make the best possible choice and that we value that people have all the information in making their choice, both for ourselves and others. That was backed up then by uh, what we covered last time, which was transparency and curiosity, uh, saying, well, if we're going to get all that information out, I have to share what I know and that I need to be curious about what other people know. Uh, And finally, we come now to uh, the next one, which is accountability. And for accountability, uh, we're, we're kind of working through um, as a reference, the uh, Roger Schwartz paper on eight behaviors for smarter teams. He, he describes accountability. He says, when you're accountable, you take responsibility for your actions and their short-term and long-term consequences. You expect to be asked to explain your beliefs, actions, and decisions to your team and others. Seems like a sensible definition. Yeah. But you were telling me that you had to, some, some interesting uh, story about the uh, origin of the term accountability. And it's not one, not one you've shared with me. So I, I'm very curious to hear what it is. Absolutely. So uh, at a certain point in my life, I and was, still do it sometimes with my wife, uh, we, we started reading a, um, histories of the English kings. And there's surprisingly good organizational insights to be had from the early English kings and how they ran their empires. Um, for example, Henry II ruled an empire that stretched from Ireland to northern Spain. And he did it when the fastest way to get from point A to point B or to get information around the empire was by horse. So it was a a, a significant organizational limitation, the uh, very slow uh, transmission of, of information. And one of the techniques that he used to manage his empire was these people who were the the first sheriffs. And of course, we now all think of sheriffs as people with little gold stars on their lapels and they have six shooters and they um, capture cattle rustlers, but that's, it's not the wild west type of sheriff. This isn't what it was. So these, uh, the original word was Shire Reeve and a Reeve was somebody, I I believe is a tax collector because that's, that's what these folks did is uh, their job was in a Shire in a particular area uh, to, to collect all the taxes. And what they would uh, do is uh, remember, this is also a time when people did not go to school. So um, reading and writing and arithmetic were not part of the, um, skills that you could assume that your sheriffs had, but they were still in charge of showing up with a, a bag full of money, literally physical money, to uh, to give you for your tax receipts. How do you check that they've um, got the correct taxes and uh, that they haven't siphoned off any of the money or that they haven't miscounted or charged people? Um, you wouldn't be worried about too much, but you would be worried about too little. <laughs> and so um, there's these uh, great books. We'll put a link in the in the show notes. But there's a, a book that someone wrote about the process of the exchequer. And we still have a, in, in England a chancellor of the exchequer. 
and uh, the exchequer was a, a big table, which was laid out like a checkerboard or a chessboard uh, that, that we have today. And they're still not quite sure because the book isn't totally clear exactly how they used this set of black and white squares. But essentially, this was a way of helping to keep count. And you'd put certain things on the light squares and certain things on the dark squares, and uh, no one's quite sure how they did it. But what would happen is the sheriffs would show up um, in a great big group, and it was time for their accounting, which comes from the, the Latin words for, for counting or reckoning. And um, it was time for them to show up literally with a bag full of pennies. And they would say, these are, these are the pennies from the, the thus and such shire. And they'd start counting out the pennies using this uh, checkerboard. And it was actually quite a terrifying experience because uh, if you had been found, if you were found, to have, your, your bag was too light, you, you should have had more. You could get uh, fired or you could get whipped or at the worst, you could get executed because you, you hadn't <laughs> done the right thing. <laughs> well, you'd uh, failed. So um, I don't know if any of our listeners have this experience when they feel they have to be accountable for something <laughs> that uh, they, they feel somewhat terrified that they're, they're going to have to show up and explain what happened and there, there could be a negative consequence if you're if you're not accurate if you haven't given the uh d- done the right thing that's uh, that's uh, the the idea the proper uh, fear that sometimes people have associated with the word uh, accountable uh, and someone's going to hold you accountable sounds like very much uh, that fear of being whipped is uh, the kind of thing that people might have in mind indeed and my relationship with accountability um, was really transformed uh, in about 2006, uh, when I watched a um, a talk by Kent Beck, uh, people know him of extreme programming fame, one of the early uh, agile people uh, before that was a word. Um, but in, in 2006, he uh, gave this talk called Ease at Work. Just today, I, had, I hadn't realized it, but uh, found that there was a, a, a video of it uh, available on YouTube, uh, which we will uh, put in the show notes as well as a, a written summary from um, uh, InfoQ. I'll put an article there, uh, which is interesting, ri- written about an, a year later. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing that uh, stood out for me, or one of the uh, things that stood out for me in this discussion, um, in general, Kent was describing how his uh, experience at work changed and that oh, he, for a, a, a long time, he suffered what he called the, the genius shithead roller coaster, <laughs> which is you go from thinking to yourself, oh, I'm so amazing to uh, I'm terrible and worthless. That's an old uh, Steve Jobs reference there that uh, Steve Jobs would put you on one of those levels. Uh, it sounds like Kent was putting himself at um, either the, the top or the bottom of the roller coaster there. Yeah, that's right. And um, and one of the elements that he talked about that stood out for me was this was the topic of accountability, and and he talked about a little bit about this um, distinction about what it you know the the fear of someone holding you accountable. But then he talked about sort of shifting that head and saying, no, that actually I'm going to take this as a personal value that I am going to uh, render an account of what I'm doing. I I will see this now as a as a positive obligation I have to render an account of what my thoughts and feelings were. And, um, and he talked about how that changed his experience at work and it was a, one of the important ingredients. And that has always stuck with me. And it's so much so that I've, I've taken it with me uh, ever since and even made it part at um, Tim, where I currently work as a CTO, when we were laying out what are the, the strengths that we most care about among people in the technology organization uh, we we had as one of the strengths the, the the 
combination of judgment and accountability, which is we expect you to use your professional judgment, but at the same time and matched with that, we expect you to proactively be explaining the, the beliefs and actions and reasoning behind what you're doing and that those two things go together. And to me, that's an important part of having a learning culture uh, at work is that people do feel that they have an, uh, an obligation to be accountable. Interesting. This really supports the, the two values we talked about last time. We talked about transparency and curiosity. And I know for myself, it certainly uh, helps this idea of accountability because it means uh, I feel a proactive obligation to be transparent. And at the same time, I can expect uh, that my curiosity should be should be rewarded. If I'm curious about why people have done things, then um, if we've established this shared value of accountability, then I can rely on people uh, to be comfortable uh, sharing uh, what they were thinking, and uh, and that can be very helpful. Makes sense. And I know that when I come into clients, I often bring this value. I don't think I do it as um, explicitly as I might. But often what is lacking is um, an ability for others to understand and give feedback on, that's the crucial bit for me, what the development team is doing. So I have one client where the main complaint of the person who brought me in was, I, I know that these guys are working on some very interesting research. They're doing amazing stuff based on um, papers that have just been published and they're um, super research, but they'll tell me about the paper and then I never see it in the product. So I have no idea, is it nearly ready? Is it um, the, something they just read about and they're not doing anything with it or are they halfway done? And so one of the most important things that we've begun doing is a daily update that contains an awful lot of information, I think more than this person even can absorb. But um, uh, there's there's enough of a summary there that uh, he can say, all right, great, this part they're not working on at all, this part they're nearly finished with, and here's a link where I can go and see exactly what they're doing. And that's active accountability in the way you're describing. Um, and I, I certainly see actually less fear, going back to the fear of the sheriffs, I see less fear in the rest of the team than I saw when I first started. Because when I when I arrived, that they were all worried that this person, who's quite a uh, energetic uh, founder of the company, would come along and, and suddenly say, "Hey, that thing I talked to you about two months ago, is it ready? I have to demo it tomorrow." And they wouldn't put it in this in this way, but they they would. They, I imagine they would say, "I'd like to be accountable for that, but um, I wasn't quite ready for it this morning, and I haven't had my coffee yet. You know, can can I can I have a minute to think about whatever it was two months ago? Because because I forgot." And so the increase of communication actually reduces the fear and the activeness of the outward communication of accountability is helpful. And of course, that goes back to agile techniques like retrospectives and demos and customer uh, feedback and involvement. That's right. I think there's an interesting link between when you then have a culture of accountability and the next value, uh, which is compassion. Uh, the compassion, if we go back to what Roger Schwartz says, he says, um, when you're compassionate, you understand others' concerns and connect and respond to others. You suspend judgment temporarily so that you can appreciate other people's situation. When you act with compassion, you infuse the core values with your intent to understand, empathize with, and help others. Mm -hmm. So quite a lot to that. What strikes me in, in practice is that when uh, people are being accountable to one another, it's a lot easier to be compassionate. 
because you start to understand more of what went into their actions, what went into the positions they're arguing for. Uh, when when someone just just says, well, you know, he, here's what I think, and you don't have any of the context, it can be very hard to in, engage with it. It can be very hard to be compassionate with, uh, compassionate with where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And even the example we talked about in our um, last podcast, when we're discussing um, transparency and curiosity, you recall we we gave an example of a of an exchange between two people. Yep. So so one showed up and said, "Hey, I think we should um, uh, stop doing this practice," and the other one said, um, "I don't know. I think it's fine." And that was the whole <laughs> uh, that was the whole conversation. Well, there was a lot more, but uh, that was that was the exchange we focused on. And there's not a lot of opportunity for compassion there because there's no transparency. There uh, it turned out that, for example, one of them was thinking that uh, he would be embarrassed if this practice was exposed to the world because he thought the, the team was doing it very badly. Um, but he hadn't shared that, so there was no opportunity for the person he'd sort of surprised with this feedback on the process um, to, to have any compassion for him. Yes, ex- exactly. And I think if he'd brought his his feelings into it about what his motivations were for bringing this up, hey, I think we should stop doing this. And by the way, the, the part of the reason is I've, I've had this this feeling uh, and and shared that, it would be a lot easier for the other person to react with compassion to try to understand, where they appreciate where they were coming from. Uh, it's not, and it's not that you're going to uh, agree. And I think that's one thing to, to reiterate at this point. The mutual learning model is not about um, getting everyone to agree and uh, to consensus, but rather you're trying to. In, in fact, it's about the value of conflict. The conflict is useful, and you should look for it. And conflict and disagreement is is a valuable thing to to do well. Yeah, absolutely. And because we said, well, we, we're going to have the best possible decisions, the best outcome. If we bring the most information to the table, and that's that means that we're valuing diversity of opinions and experience, and it's it's expected that people you know with different experiences, different backgrounds, different access to information will come to different decisions, will have different points of view, and then when they share those different points of view, well, that's that's conflict. Working through that productively is what you're after, and uh, part of the discussion being productive is being compassionate for other people when you disagree with them. Um, I mean, being compassionate when you agree with them, when you when you actually have the same concerns and the same thoughts, well, that's easy. Uh, the, the real value here is compassion uh, when it's it's difficult. Compassion when you have a different point of view, and it's sort of saying, well, okay, I need to actually have a bit of empathy, get into what the other person's frame of mind was, what their intent were, as opposed to um, just sticking within my one point of view. And, it, and I find this compassion can be um, something that is, is very powerful. And in one case comes out where I often find it lacking, surprisingly, is with people in power. And, and not that the people in power lack compassion for others, though that certainly happens, but rather often uh, people lack compassion with the people who have power over them as they perceive it. Mm. So they're, they're managers. I, I used to call those folks the suits. Yeah. I'd say, oh, the suits want <laughs> us to do this. That was not an example of compassion for those people. That, that's right. Exactly. And it, it turns out that developing some compassion for those people can be amazingly helpful in uh, establishing uh, better uh, working environments. Um, one, one example I had was with a, a founder who people thought was just an, maybe a, a bit tyrannical in the sense that he was always saying, you know, sharing his opinion, we should do this, we should do that. And so much so that people just thought, well, there's no point in me sharing my view 
because we'll just end up doing what, what they say. Mm. When I um, spoke to the person and asked, was, was, was curious about what was going on, what came out was a story I felt very easy to have compassion for, which was he actually felt uh, confused why, about why other people weren't offering suggestions. In fact, he, he kind of felt like, well, it seems like nothing's going to happen here unless I'm uh, um, coming up with 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 these uh, decisions and suggestions. And what he really wanted was other people to be more active, and um, hadn't realized why they were uh, waiting on him. So it was a case actually where compassion in both directions uh, could have been helpful. He he could have been curious and, and asked the question if he'd been accountable, uh, as we've just said, where he'd said, um, you know, I, I I'm a little bit confused why I'm always the one doing this, but I feel like someone needs to, and that's why I'm doing it. He he might have had a compassionate reaction from the people working for him. And similar if those people had, had been curious and uh, they might've had some more compassion for where he was coming from. Makes sense. And, and one of the other areas that I find it's difficult to ha um, be compassionate is uh, actually, and, and our, our good old friend, Benjamin Mitchell, uh, always reminds us to have compassion for self and others. And uh, I often find it hard to have compassion for myself. Do you have that problem, Jeffrey? Oh, absolutely. It's a challenge because especially on, on topics such as the one we're, we're discussing, we, we spend a lot of time, uh, you and I, talking about uh, how to help agile teams and the value of mutual learning. And then um, I often find uh, in my own reflection on, on, on my behavior that I fall short and I'm not, I'm not perfectly practicing uh, the model that I'm espousing to others. And that can be uh, hard to take at times. I feel, feel a little bit like a hypocrite. I'm saying one thing and doing something else. Exactly. And that happened to me uh, when the training that we were doing uh, just the other day, when uh, we were trying to explain the notion of a genuine question, a question that isn't a leading question. And I, I asked you, Jeffrey, in the middle of the training, um, so do you think that we should go on to look at some examples? And you said, gee, that doesn't sound like a genuine question. <laughs> now, if I hadn't had any compassion for myself, I might have uh, kind of uh, got up and left <laughs> because it was a pretty clear example of, first of all, definitely wasn't a genuine question. I was advocating the idea that we should talk about some examples because we were behind schedule and I was not performing. I was exactly that type of situation where I had been just advocating doing something and had done the opposite. But that actually turned into a great opportunity because one of the most important things to emphasize when you try to learn these things, and, and we've just, we're have just we concluding this uh, series on, on these values, uh, it, it might feel daunting to our listeners. I can imagine them saying, well, this seems like a lot of great stuff. And uh, Squirrel and Jeffrey told me that I advocated these things, and I, and I do, and I espouse them, but they've spent a long time proving to me that I probably don't do them, so maybe I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> if, if you start with that belief, um, it doesn't help you very much. So what I could do at the end of our training was to say, well, you're probably going to go home and say, the first thing you'll notice is that other people aren't doing this, and the second thing you'll notice is that you aren't doing things this way, and so then you'll feel really bad. But, but don't, because you saw me having learned this stuff for, for 10 years and studied it intensively and given lots of trainings on these topics, um, ask a non-genuine question. And, and Jeffrey quite properly helped me understand that it was. So compassion for yourself and understanding that you may have some limitations and this might be difficult for you when you're not ready for the, the double black diamond conversation yet uh, can actually be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I would say it's a requirement for learning 
Um, because if you're not able to have compassion for yourself, what's your alternative? One, one thing that's quite likely to happen is you, you after time, become unwilling to recognize that you're making mistakes because that it's just too devastating to, to realize that you, you still uh, are having the mistakes that you uh, are, are making that you'd like to correct. Um, but I think the having compassion for yourself aids learning because it makes you more open to doing the work. You know, we, we talked about the four R's and, and how that's required for learning from experience. If that process is too painful, you're likely to put it off and, and therefore deny yourself the opportunities to learn. I had a client once, one of my favorites, she uh, was, was learning these techniques and all the things that we were talking about and improving her agile team as a result. Um, but she knew that there were limitations and, and one that she knew was that uh, she sometimes just needed a little while longer to think about something. And she, she got very good at saying to someone, what you've just asked me sounds really interesting and I'm not quite good enough yet to answer you right away, but I need about 15 minutes, I'll come back. And I thought that was excellent compassion for herself, which led to understanding that she might need um, additional uh, resources and taking 15 minutes to go and practice a little bit of framing or do some coherence busting or one of the other techniques would then help her to uh, respond much more successfully and help her team. So uh, there can be real immediate value to having compassion. It lets you take action in the moment that helps you a lot. And, and uh, not her compassion to, to know that she needed it, but her accountability to share with the other person what she was doing and why. Exactly. And, and active accountability coming out and saying, this is why I'm doing it. Excellent. So I think that concludes our series, right? We've now covered all five of the mutual learning values, right? That's right. So that's uh, we've covered the five values. Um, we do expect we'll come back in a, in a future podcast. We will um, do another sort of mini series. So this time was on the the, the, the core values behind the mutual learning model. Um, next time, what we'll move on to is the assumptions. Uh, uh, you know, when we start in, uh, the next series on mutual learning model, we'll start with the uh, assumptions of the mutual learning model. Excellent, because uh, we're certainly making a lot of assumptions that can either reinforce or not reinforce these values. Sounds interesting. Okay. So, uh, listeners, we're always glad to hear from you. Uh, go to troubleshootingagile.com where you'll find email and Twitter and everything else. And uh, if you're having difficulties with some of these, if you'd like to tell us how you're being accountable or compassionate, uh, or if you have questions of any kind on improving your Agile team and their, their results, we'd sure like to hear it. Also, we really like it when you click that subscribe button and say uh, that you'd like to, to hear from us each week. So please do that in your uh, app of choice. And we did mention that uh, we have a, a training available. So if you'd like to talk to us about that, that's also on troubleshootingagile.com. Uh, we've both been doing trainings like that for quite a long time. We've now kind of hooked up together to, to be able to do them together. So uh, get in touch if you have any of those thoughts. Jeffrey, we'll talk next week. All right. Talk to you then. 